Matt Alano Martin. Matt Alano Martin. Hey, what's up, gang? Uh, it's not Matt Alano Martin. It's Mishka Shabali uh, back here. Uh, yeah, with the podcast with my name in the name. Uh, we got to do something about that. Um, I'm still out here in frosty uh, Athens, Ohio. Holy shit, it's so freaking cold here. The um, yeah, actual frost on the ground. Um, working on the house here, got a sweet deal on a new exterior door at Home Depot the other day. Uh, Home Depot, not a sponsor of the podcast. Um, in, uh, I went to Parkersburg, West Virginia to pick it up. And as I was driving across the bridge into West Virginia, the check engine light went on in my 2005 Honda Element, which... I'm I'm getting tired of living in the same opening lines of that broken down country novel, but the the light went off again. I don't, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm doing uh, I'm having this weird sort of little uh, home renovation odyssey at the as the same time as this wild hunting trip uh, just keeps unfolding. I yeah I've been hunting, which is weird for a. Uh, uh, a libtard cuck like me, um, but I'm loving it, and it, it's turned into such a fucking crazy odyssey. Um, I kind of want to do a podcast about all the shit that's happened and all, all that I've sort of been through in the last couple of months with my hunting buddy here, uh, Lou Poster. But we'll see. I don't know. The public outcry might be too much. Um, the What am I worried about? Losing the two t-shirt sales a month? I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, it's so funny. The So, I, you know, I've been talking with, uh, you know, when I was talking to Jay White Cotton and then talking to Matt Alano Martin on this podcast about the the slings and arrows of comedy and uh, just the, the sort of bipolar existence, the, you know, huge ups and the huge downs. It's like that with podcasting, too. Uh, it can be... I'm having these conversations that I'm really proud of and talking about a lot of shit that I don't think a lot of other people are talking about. Um, and, and then, it, and then it just seems to slip under the tires and, uh, and nobody seems to listen or nobody seems to respond. Um, the, and, and who cares? I mean, I, I just care that we're having these conversations. Um, but it's easy to get uh, dispirited or frustrated. And then every once in a while, you have a conversation like the one that I had with Matt. And I'm like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to keep doing this forever just for myself. Um, Matt is a comic. I'm not going to read any of his credits here because I haven't pulled up his bio yet. Um, we met, I don't know, six or seven years ago at Let's... Let's Fest, I think that's what it's called, in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and just sort of clicked immediately. Um, both of us sober, both of us been sober for a while. Um, one of the things that there's sort of this pervasive legend about artists that um, in order to be a great artist, you also have to be a great asshole, and also that it's okay to be a great asshole if you're a great artist. And I've, you know, absolutely fallen prey to that again and again, and I can't wait to do it again. Um, one of the things that's frustrating for me is that uh, uh, when I play altercation, I, I year after year I play on uh, Saturday the sort of matinee slot, uh, which is cool and I love it. And also 
by the time we get to Saturday of altercation, a lot of people have already left town and a lot of people are super fried because they've been partying really hard or just at least hanging out. Um, so I meet all the other comics, um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then they don't see me perform on Saturday. So I've, I've developed a reputation as a nice guy, uh, but, but no feedback on, uh, on my, my songwriting, my performance, whatever it is that I do. Um, and I think when I was younger, I openly cultivated, I wanted to be, uh, a brilliant asshole. And now I've become sort of, uh, an unknown nice guy and, uh, it doesn't sit great with me. <laughs> I'm okay with being a nice guy yet, I guess. But what I'm trying to get at is that, um, at the risk of compromising um, the way that people perceive his art, I will say that Matt is an incredibly nice guy. He's a very sort of caring, thoughtful dude. Um, oh, and also uh, a vicious comedian. Um, he's incredibly good on stage. Um, he's he's lithe. He's agile. And also he's not... Um, you know, one of the tricks here is is to sort of keep doing this without being becoming bitter, becoming cynical, becoming cruel. And I think he does a great job of interacting with sometimes unruly crowds um, in a way that um, that is generous and forgiving and also masterful. He still shows them I'm in charge here. They they gave me the mic for a reason. Um, but we just had an amazing conversation, and. Uh, I feel like it sort of has breathed new life into me as far as the podcast goes. Um, he, the way that we riff off each other and, and shoot the shit, Jesus, we could start a podcast together. Um, and then no one would listen to that. But um, until we make that mistake, uh, please enjoy this conversation with Matt Alano Martin. Mr. Shabali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Man, we had such a compelling uh, conversation about our wake up times and our nap schedule. The um, lost to history. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. People, you can hear also my dog Raylan was not barking at all until you started recording and then literally like on cue. He is is freaking out because there is a Terminex guy here uh, going around my house, uh, making sure that bugs and rodents don't get into my house. So hopefully this will be over soon. We, I mean, that's basically the theme for this entire podcast. <laughs> hopefully this will be over soon. The, everything, all of it, all of uh, human experience. I have my phone on top of my fucking uh, my preamp, which is why we got that weird flap sound. Uh, Matt Allen O'Martin, welcome to the podcast. How are you, buddy? Uh, I'm good. It's Alano Martin. Uh, that just lets people know how close we are. <laughs> that I was actually I was thinking about your name as we were going into this. I was like, he spells Matt with one T. Mm -hmm. He has a hyphenated last name, and now the and you're not uh, pronunciation flexible either. You're the uh, Matt. I mean, if, if if you were introing me onto the stage, I probably wouldn't have said anything. But this is you know recording for posterity. And so <laughs> Matt Alano Martin, is yeah. that right? I've been yeah. saying it wrong yeah. in my head That's for right. like six fucking years or something. That's all right. It's fine. I'm so sorry. Uh, the people yeah. have been calling me Mishka for 10 fucking years. So yeah, yeah but it's, it's, but how do you pronounce it? It's Mishka. 
Mesmer, yeah, it's Mishka. Uh, yeah. You pronounce it with uh, wake up energy, like oh, Mishka. <laughs> uh, like oh, this fucking asshole. That's how you, you have to like that. Has to be the subtext of your that's name. A, that's a, that's what I think every time I look in the mirror. <laughs> such <laughs> such a reliable disappointment. <laughs> how are you today, my friend? I'm good, man. I, I've had. I just got back. God damn it, Raylan, right on cue. I don't know if you can even hear that because of the way my mic is set up. I, I can. The, okay, good. So you're good. Okay, good. Sorry about that. Uh, that little distraction on my end. Um, I love I'm that your good, dog's man. name is Raylan. Like, uh, yeah, the, yeah, Raylan, my dog. Yeah, Raylan, my dog. <laughs> all night long. <laughs> you are literally the only person who's ever made that joke. And also, before we started recording, you were talking about how you sleep with your dog, which is totally <laughs> fine. But then you threw in the under the covers part, and I was like, that doesn't feel okay. Under the covers, <laughs> under the covers, but waist up. It's just, just uh, <laughs> you know, funsies, no pokey. Okay. <laughs> no, my dog is named Raylan after Raylan Gibbons from uh, the Elmore Leonard book series. Oh, wow. So, yeah. That's killer. Uh, that's a, yeah. Yeah. That's a, a neat reference. Yeah. I had to take Raylan to get his shots today. And I also went to the chiropractor. I've been on the road for 12 days. And so I'm cramming in a bunch of at home shit I needed to do uh, before the holidays kick in and everybody shuts down for like 10 days. Are you back now for a while? Yeah, I'm back for a couple of weeks. I go back out the first weekend of January again. So only about two weeks off. Man, I find that the worst thing is to, to have sort of like back to back long weekends where you're like home long enough that you need to unpack your suitcase and then the next day just pack it again. Yeah, I mean, well, you got to do the laundry, so it, it is good for that. You know, there's the refreshing of the the suitcase for the laundry. But yeah, there's. I don't know, man. I mean, I, I'm very lucky to be able to go out and do comedy and get paid for it. So it's it's hard for me to complain about it, you know. How um how was this last run? Oh, uh, not great. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. It was it was it was like 50-50. Like half the shows were good to too great. And then the other half were like rough, man. I, I did um I did a, a a comedy club chain called Looney Bins. There used to be four of them. Now there's only three. And those were the shows that were like half the show. One one weekend was five shows. The next weekend was six. I got a couple of shows in, in Oklahoma City in between the two. And uh, so we're talking about Wichita, Kansas and Little Rock, Arkansas. And half the club shows were great. Half the club shows were real, real rough, man. People were just not feeling me. And it's one of these things that was really odd where the GMs of both clubs were like, Hey, it was a great week. And I was like, was it? It was like, is this is like a 50% success rate? What you consider to be a great week? Like how bad are your weeks normally? <laughs> Man, it's so heartening to hear that. And also so dispiriting because <laughs> I think we labor under this illusion that like, um, that we'll keep doing this long enough. We'll practice enough. We'll write enough. We'll do enough shows. We'll play enough gigs. We'll shake enough hands. We'll, um, that we'll put in the time and we'll get better and then the bad shows will go away and it will just be all good shows from here on out. Yeah. And that's a fucking illusion, man. It's, it just seems to like the, um, I don't know. And, and also like the, in the course of doing this podcast, I've talked to so many, um, so many comics, so many performers, so many entertainers. And one of the things that I found to be consistent with everybody I've spoken to, is that everybody's like, um, yeah, you know, I'm at the, um, 
I'm, I'm doing like large clubs and stuff. If I could just get, or I'm doing theaters. If I could just get into arenas or the, I'm doing clubs. If I could just get into theaters and like, I'm still wishing I could get into clubs, but also the, it, it's never enough. It's never enough. And, and that's a thing that uh, comics have always talked about. You know, it's like, it's, you know, there's this great clip online that you can find of Jim Carrey hosting uh, the Oscars, I think is what it was. And they introduce him as like, um, you know, two time Oscar winner, Jim Carrey. And he comes out and he has this really amazingly funny, but also very darkly true monologue that he does where he's like, Two time, two time Oscar winner Jim Carrey. It's like not three time. I keep trying for the third one because that will be enough. Then, then it will be enough. And oh and it's God. just like oh my God, <laughs> like to be at that level, and st- and acknowledge that weird drive that we have. I try to really balance that, man. Like again, like the gratitude thing. Like I just talked about some of these shows were not great, but I mean. Some of them were, and that's just how it goes. And I have to be thankful that I'm in a position that I can do shows. And like, I do have a question for you because you talked about this a little bit last episode, maybe the last couple episodes where you talked about this idea about how you are trying to get back into clubs or whatever. Do you feel like because you are sort of this in-between act, right? Um, Where yes, you are a musician, but it's also funny. And I mean, and I think it was Jay White Cotton who called you like um, some version of J- uh, Jonathan Richmond, right? Like, a, which I think is a good comparison. Jay White and C- Cotton called me a lot of things. <laughs> it was a heck of an episode. It was a, it was a <laughs> heck of an episode. I, I, I did, as I was listening to that episode, I was like, what would happen if we got Jay on the Joe Rogan experience? Like, would that just be an 18 hour long episode? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I mean, I, I, yeah, that's. That's a Joe Rogan experience I would listen to all the way through. Yeah, I'm not a listener of Joe Rogan, but I would definitely just to see uh, how he how he handles Jay and Jay's like brain, which is always firing a million, you know, seconds, a million miles a second or whatever. But I mean, do you feel like that that's part of maybe the issue is that people don't know how to categorize you? Yeah, I mean, the I I feel sort of two ways about it. One of the one of the things is that. I do feel part of the reason why I, I struggle to uh, to get booked and to get people out is because I do something that um, that's trickier to categorize. That you know, when I post shows, people are like, "Oh, is it comedy or is it music?" And I'm like, "Man, it's always a little bit of both." You know, the it's um, it's just a, a ratio every night, and I'm not sure what the what the ratio is going to be from night to night. You know, yeah. And the and then the other part of me is like you're just telling yourself that you're doing a thing to, that defies categorization, you know, easy <laughs> categorization to make yourself feel better that nobody gives a shit about it. You know, the, <laughs> um, the, you know, Stan Hope has this thing about, um, you know, being the, the, the comedic equivalent to fetish pornography that mm-hmm. like, um, the, you know, not a lot of people care about him, but the people who do care about him will will drive for like six hours to go and see him. Yeah, you know, the and uh, and that's so apt. But I think at this point, Stan, the fetish that Stan Hope is is like boobs. You know that like he's done it. The people love him. Yeah, the, and I feel like I'm like squish porn or something like something horrific <laughs> like that. That it's it. You know. Um, it means a lot to a very small group of people and to everyone else, it means nothing. 
you know? Yeah. But I think there is a thing too, of like coming back around to the gratitude aspect. I heard someone talk about this and I don't know what the original source of it was, but they said that as an artist, if you can get a thousand people to really love you, if you have a thousand people who are willing to spend a hundred dollars on you every year, right. Um, whether that be going to your shows, buying your merch, whatever, being your Patreon, whatever. If a thousand people can give you a hundred dollars a year, then you can have a life as an artist. You don't need huge crossover success. It's just like kind of like a, partially managing expectations, but also really understanding that, you know, like it, I mean, you have a life as an artist now, you know, and you're able to do things like invest in uh, vacation homes in Athens, Ohio, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but there is a thing like you, you're not, you're not squeezing all this shit in, in between shifts at Starbucks, you know? Yeah. The, I mean, I think the, I think the actual text of that quote is if, if you had a thousand fans, you would convince yourself that you only had 999 and that you just needed one more. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, well, I didn't keep reading the quote. I just stopped at the, <laughs> at the motivational part that, you know, the big, the big, uh, the big font that they put out on the side of the paragraph. That's all I read. Uh, I don't read actual text. I just read pull quotes. That's all I do. <laughs> the, just the headlines. The, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I just did a short run with Derek Sheen. That was like fucking incredible. He's so good. He's such a, such a great comic, such a great person. We had like awesome conversations. Very few people at any of the shows. I felt bad for dragging, having dragged him out there to do that. Um, but we also, you know, we had a wonderful time. And um, the he has a thing about, um, you know, he says it's impossible to feel anxiety and gratitude at the same time. And the and I disagree because I think mm -hmm. that every single person in our friend group, like at our level is feeling both gratitude and anxiety all the time about yeah. our careers. You know, I, I have been horrifically lucky. I, and I'm super fucking grateful. You know, the, um, I, I have had commercial set, you know, success as a writer and as a musician, those, those are two, you know, two things that are super hard to do. It's hard to do one of them. I've done both of them. The I've had enough success and been smart enough with like, not going back to drinking and shit like that, yeah. that, um, that I am able to make it as a slumlord. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there is that, you know, still that eternal frustration of like, oh, why didn't they get that last dick joke? Oh, you yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, the idea, you know, and this is a truism in comedy that people talk about is like, you know, you could be playing like a sold out show. Like, let's say we're opening for somebody bigger, like you and I are opening for a bigger name and it's it's packed and everybody's loving it except for one guy in the front with the arms crossed. That's the person you focus on. You just cannot take in the joy and the love radiating to you from the rest of the room because it's like what the, what the fuck is that guy's problem why why doesn't he love me you know why does he look so much like my dad you know shit like that the so when that happens for you how do you reframe it man i i've been doing the you know the small midwest mostly circuit for so long and um you know it's just that i I've learned to get away from that thinking. It's, it's, it's very similar to sobriety, really, in a way. It's like rewiring my brain. You know, the thing that the reason that I was able to get and stay sober is I just decided to rewire my brain. Right. And it's the same thing, like with comedy performance. And I still have bad nights where I let it get to me. 
right? Where yeah. one joke doesn't hit and I'm like, ah, you know, and what's even more frustrating for me is like when half the set works and half of it doesn't and there's yeah. no defining thing like, okay, they didn't like it when I started talking about religion or they didn't like about it, you know, when I, when they got a little dirtier or whatever, it, where it makes no sense at all, where just as a collective, everybody in the audience was like, yes, that one, no, not that one. And you're like, those are both equally funny jokes. Like what is yeah. happening here? That is, that is the thing that still is maddening to me. But as far as like someone mean mugging me, you know, like two of the shows in Wichita were pretty brutal, like pretty decent sized crowds that were just kind of staring at me. And like, they were willfully not participating. Like I literally would do a thing of like, you know, I have a joke about being married. Right. And I'm like, anybody else here married? Not one person replied. And so, which statistically speaking for a club, that's like, oh, it's, you know. <laughs> and then the headliner got up there and then he asked if anybody's married. And suddenly there's a bunch of fucking married people all of a sudden in the audience. Like they just decided yep. they didn't like me from the jump pretty much. And, you know, and then it's just like, okay, well, I've been in this position before I do my 30, you know, like I can, I, I can do 30 minutes to nobody. <laughs> if Dude, I that's have a to. long 30 minutes to, yeah. to go through that. Yeah. But I mean, and again, I don't want to shit on Wichita because again, a couple of those shows were fantastic. Amazing. Like night and day is how it went. And so I think I've just got so much experience under my belt that I, but I mean, I, it used to, it used to really shake me and I would fly the plane into the mountain because one person yeah. up front wasn't digging it. And then I would do my best to convince everyone else not to like me, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, and this is the thing is that, you know, I think we would rather just burn an entire city and, you know, it would be, it would be a, a huge comfort to be like, Oh, Wichita is a shithole. Everybody there, a bunch of dum-dums. But the truth is it's like trying to fucking predict the weather. Yeah, because you can go back. I mean, uh, Amarillo, a town I love to shit on. Right, <laughs> the, there's a couple of incredible people there who I really adore, and a club there that's been super supportive. I keep going back through, and every time I roll into town, I'm like, "Why am I here?" Is it the and, Heavy Metal Club? Is uh, it that Heavy Metal it's Club? Like that's a, a roadhouse with like um, a couple pool tables, and there's like okay. a little. Um, is there like a weird condo in the back of it? That yeah, you yeah, 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 yeah. I think I, I always I fucking, associate it. Yeah. I put I put a load of laundry in there, left it for six months, came back, and it was clean and folded for me. <laughs> Holy shit! Like, yeah, yeah, I love that bar, man. That place is great. Yeah, the it's, it's called like Longhorns or something, something like, like that. Yeah. Um, but we were going through there, and it was uh, it was Jake Flores and I. We were coming mm -hmm. out of Colorado. And we had like a little bit of shake left in the bag of mushrooms. And I was like, this is a like targeted enforcement. You know, we better get rid of this. It's just tiny little bit. Great big guy, tiny little mushrooms, not going to do anything. I'm just going to eat the little powder and fucking 45 minutes later, tripping so hard. And yeah, the, the, the powder is where it gets you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the and it's like a Monday night in Amarillo. And I was like, Jake, you know, this is going to be a fucking bloodbath. And I'm so sorry. Best show of tour. <laughs> And and not not just that like I had a good show I, I don't even know if I did I I did a show on mushrooms that's a good show right I got fucking got through it without getting yeah, like, yeah. skewered but Jake fucking destroyed on a Monday night in Amarillo having never been there before and the, and I was just like I know nothing about anything you know yeah. the I'm just the and and that's one of the things is that it seems like the the longer you're at it the more gigs you get under the your belt the less you know. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we have to sort of accept that. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think so too. Also, you're <laughs> talking about performing on mushrooms. It just reminds me there is like a, uh, a clip from family guy where they make a family band and they decide to do drugs for inspiration and it cuts back and forth between like what they think they sound like and then what they actually sound like from the audience perspective <laughs> and it's very different uh no i i think there is a thing too where i you just kind of you kind of give give over not give over control but you just you just accept that it's always a crapshoot and I know you guys have made this analogy on here before about how it's like being a gambling addict in a way, you know. Um, but yeah, you cannot predict anything, man. And there's big time, there's big time super professional comedians who bring out their own audiences who still bomb sometimes. Yeah, like yeah, you're never you're never safe from the bomb, you know. It's yeah, it's like fucking Russian roulette sometimes, yeah. you know the where, and that's the thing is that it's. Um, it's such a bipolar existence because the um i mean i think we say you know that we've done enough shows that when you get off you're like that was fine that was all right that was good that was decent but in your heart you're like oh man second 59 was amazing and then the minute mark was the worst <laughs> it's cuz it just it's like yeah so intense all the time yeah, I think that there are definitely ones that you still feel it, even though you've gotten thicker skin. And I, I always think about it, too. Like, um, you know, the longer you do this, hopefully you have more wins in your calm than losses. Right. And so the losses hurt a little bit less when you're first starting off and you're bad at comedy and it's mostly losses. Each one feels like a brand new, fresh kick in the nuts. Now it's kind of like, all right, I didn't win that one, you know, like that was, or maybe that was a draw, you know, like me and the audience tied on that one. Um, but yeah, there's still certain ones that just like, uh, like, I mean, I, I, one of the ones in Wichita, I texted my buddy about, well, I guess I'm quitting comedy. I guess I'm done. Comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, gonna uh, check out this LinkedIn. I keep hearing so much about <laughs> Comedy just uh, quit me. No, yeah. I will say that you talked on touched on something earlier that I think is interesting where you talk about, you know, um we're all we're this mix of gratitude and anxiety. Um, I think that is true uh of artists because we kind of, you know, it's it's our identity to a certain extent is is wrapped up in it, you know, but it's like our entire passion, our love and everything. You know, it's not like having a bad day at the office at a job that you don't give a shit about. Like bad days at work are still bad days at work, but this is like when you know like it's my entire life on the wrong track you know like i don't think anybody thinks that if they go into their regular office job and they have a bad day at the office they might they might think that a little bit but maybe not at the soul level that we do you know um i also always think about artists as being like this yin yang of um like low self esteem and raging narcissism yep right <laughs> because on one hand, it's like, I'm so important that everyone should shut the fuck up and listen to my ideas. And if you speak out during my speaking of my ideas, you will be removed from the building. <laughs> like, I'm a very important person. These are very important ideas. And then also like, oh, I'm just such a piece of shit. This is all dumb. What am I doing? <laughs> like, it's such a mix. I, I've been listening to uh, Adam Caton Holland's uh, memoir, uh, Tragedy Plus Time. And uh, and it sort of traces the his you know his rising success as a comic um, against the backdrop of losing his sister to suicide, right. and it's a devastating book 
and I was trying to think why, you know, sort of why is it so emotionally effective? And I think one of the reasons is because he contrasts um, his, you know, sort of mounting success as a comic and as a writer, which is the most narcissistic pursuit possible with losing a family member, which is one of the most sort of empathetic experiences possible where right. ourselves disappear in that, you know, that level of grief. The, but yeah, it's um, every time I, I, I'm so suspicious of people who enjoy performing because for me, it's like the, you can, you can just say improv people. You don't have to code it like that. <laughs> the Sam talent. Fuck it. Well, let's put a name on it. Sam always seems to be having a good time. <laughs> Fuck that guy. I feel like my job is just shooting bullets up in the air. And every time I get off stage, I'm like, I can't believe I didn't kill myself or anybody else. <laughs> it's just like holy shit the nothing about it is enjoyable i'm just like oh fuck (laughs) you don't like you don't like performing at all there's not i mean even when the show's going well you don't you don't enjoy it i mean i I I know how much i know how much you love to be like i'm never touring again and then like (laughs) literally two hours later here's the new tour dates (laughs) i mean i think i i must enjoy it at some level or it must fulfill some need it must scratch some itch the um I, but it's so tied up with like, um, feelings of terror and, you know, I feel, you know, people talk about the, you know, um, you know, white cotton and Jake Flores are, you know, two examples of comics who I think, um, have incredibly thick skin. Like those guys can sort of create an uncomfortable moment on stage and then just happily sit there and Mm -hmm. watch the audience sort of like dangle. And I really admire that because I can't do that. I don't think I'll ever, you know, I don't think that's something I can learn. And the, um, and for them, it, it's, it's like they've done enough time on stage at open mics or shows or whatever that they've like built up a skin. And I feel the opposite. I feel like I've done so many like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to have you go, um, we're going to have you play this strip club and the naked ladies are going to leave the stage and then you're going to go up there or we're going to put you on right before the game when everybody there is psyched to see the game and doesn't give a fuck about your sad cowboy songs or we're going to have you opening up for this thousand capacity sold out venue opening for uh, from the jam where the, the fans are there to see the fucking remnants of the jam and that's it. They don't give a fuck about anything else. Like just these horrific shows. I And I really do feel like I have PTSD from it where like every time they're like, and coming to the stage, I'm like, oh God, fuck no. You know, the, it's just, um, but, but also I do love touring, you know, the, um, when this 12 day run, were you out by yourself? Were you opening for somebody else? Was somebody with you? Uh, I mean, the entire run was by myself, but I was partnered with, I had headliners, like this was all featuring except for one show. And so uh, the first weekend at Wichita, I was with one headliner. And then in Little Rock, I was with another headliner. And then in Oklahoma City, I headlined a show and then I opened a show uh, for a third separate headliner. And, um, but it wasn't like touring with a buddy. I mean, it wasn't like doing a run, it, you know, and I didn't know any of these headliners before these shows. And so it wasn't like going out and opening for a buddy, even for a weekend at a club. So it's a very different experience. So the tour experience, I was going to ask you if you hate performing so much, is the the drug part of it just the road and touring? Is that why you keep doing it? And like, you know, if you could get away with just 
you know, maybe just become a like a travel writer or something. <laughs> you know, the man, I don't know the. I mean, I could talk, you know, for this entire fucking hour about my, you know, my own obsession with the road. Okay, cool. I, I'm just gonna put my head bunch down. I'll no, see you. In a... the, I um, I think you know. So th- this summer, I um, I was out here visiting my buddy Lou Poster, and uh, and I got sick, and so we sort of like we just hung out, and I, I had this epiphany where I was like, oh God, we can just like have the fucking drive time all day sitting in one place and then not have to fucking play any shows at night and he was like buddy that's called visiting and i was like oh my god i I invented this new thing you know the and i do um i i do love that you know the um i'm really psyched about doing this upcoming run with jake because he's so fucking funny and the and we really click and we can just sit in the car and sort of like pick apart the the show the night before or a bit that we're working on or trauma in our own lives or just sit there in silence for hours, you know, and be totally comfortable. And, you know, this last run that I did with rad was so fucking fun because he'd never toured before. And he was like, man, the, like, do I get my, my separate dressing room? And I was like, dude, you have no fucking idea. (laughs) And you were like, what's a dressing room? (laughs) I was like, bro, we're playing the dressing room. (laughs) We didn't sell enough tickets to make it to the stage. (laughs) But Matt, I got to tell you, like the, it was so fucking rewarding to see like, the young dog, like figuring it out, you know, like he, um, he made some mistakes the first show and then made different mistakes the next show. And then like, I could watch him sort of slowly, like tightening down on it. Mm -hmm. And then the last show we did in, uh, Indianapolis that you hooked up with, uh, Cam O'Connor, it was just, it was awesome. It was like, it was real sort of natural and positive and off the cuff. And he, you know, he tried some new stuff and, uh, um, to watch him like finding his feet i was like man you have a life of incredible suffering ahead of you now like congratulations <laughs> you know the this this shit's going to ruin your life and i'm so proud i could be a part of it yeah. i i do love that like um you know i do headline i i'm like 50 50 half the time i'm headlining half the time i'm opening for people and when i headline and it's a room that i've been to before or it's a small enough room that they don't care if i bring my own opener i do try to pay it forward you know that was done for me um it's still done for me by my more successful friends who will hit me up to open for them and so it is really great when you watch like a younger comic and particularly their first weekend out of town or you know i took emily davis who's a very funny comic from here um she opened for me at the blue room comedy club in springfield missouri and you know emily's gay she's out and gay and we were like we'll see how this goes <laughs> like, you know and nothing against springfield because there were gay people that came to the crowd or came to some of the shows and stuff like that and it's like anywhere else it's, it's just a mix of people but in my other experiences in springfield you know it's a it's the home of the bass pro shop it's got, got the world's <laughs> largest bass pro shop uh because it started there and i feel like that sums up the the city to a certain extent but they but she also figured it out she figured out like shot selection like how to open one way and when to reveal in her set that she's gay because she doesn't read particularly gay um and just watching her on that weekend and you know she'd done plenty of shows at the comedy attic here in in bloomington and had done shows in regionally like in indianapolis and stuff like that but i think this is the first time she had done a show several states away 
And just to watch her put it together was great. And I, so that pride that you feel is like, I, I get that 100%, man. It's, it's a, it's a cool thing to kind of pay it forward like that. The, uh, you know, the, the first time that I ever played Indiana, um, it was the day before the 13th annual Turkey testicle festival in, I think it was Champaign Urbana. <laughs> I'm saying well, that that's wrong an, too, I'm sure. That's an, no, 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 you're right. But that's in Illinois. Champaign-Urbana is in Illinois. No, no, no. It, it was... Um, oh, you... Okay. It was it was Indiana, because I remember that, because the when I was... Because I, I rocked the t-shirt from that for like a solid 10 or 15 years after that. So you yeah. were like the pre-party for the Testicle Festival? They brought you in to do music well, before? I was I was playing bass for a damn Melchior's Broke Review, and we rolled in on a Saturday night, and we were like, this is going to be awesome. And it was fucking dead. And I was like, <laughs> Saturday night? Like, what the, why is nobody here? And they were like, oh, they are, they're all saving it up for the Turkey Testicle Festival tomorrow. <laughs> and I was like, you fucking what? And then dude brought out like a 40-pound bag of frozen turkey nuts from the... Uh, from the freezer and he was like yeah we deep fried them last year that was a real bad idea <laughs> yeah everybody knows you want to let the flavor come through you don't want to hide it underneath <laughs> all the batter you like an alfresco just a slight like a light steaming you know that's how you want to do your turkey testicles <laughs> batter and batter then god i the comics always love to share like oh you should have been here last week or low turnout because screech is in town or whatever you know there's but yeah. i think you may win that competition <laughs> <laughs> well the it's tricky too because it's like the um people shit on uh small towns and i'm from small towns and the people like to shit on like country folks and stuff like that and when it gets right down to it it's like it's because they're poor and that's fucking lame and I try really hard not to do it. And then you host the 13th annual Turkey Testicle <laughs> Festival. And I have my fucking, I, I have no choice to be like, you fucking ignorant rednecks. <laughs> uh, yeah. Have you ever really, really thought about the fact that, you know, it, it's really just that your audience, you share oh, the God, same yeah. audience with, yeah, with the Turkey Testicle Festival. Like, you know, if you were, I'm sure, I'm sure the, the split opera, the draw. I, I'm sure the opera was fine that night. I'm sure the opera <laughs> had a full house because none of those people were saving up for the Testicle Festival. Oh, I just, uh, I, I'm just glad there was no greasy pig contest the next day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, oh man. Uh, yeah. Like the, the brutal shows are, I just started working on my new hour. Um, and I think I'm going to have a section in there where I talk about like the most ridiculous shows that I've ever done. And I did one on the 4th of July uh, in a casino lounge, free show in a casino lounge in northern Michigan for four oh. just sad, drunk people that had nowhere to be on the 4th of July other than this sad bar in a sad casino in the middle of nowhere. And uh, and it was it was rough, man. And I did 30 minutes of silence. But then I immediately won like $1,800 on a slot machine after the show. And I was like, it's the greatest show of my life. Are you kidding me? I do that show every single night. <laughs> yeah. The, that's the thing is that it's just that life on the road and life doing, um, you know, life doing comedy or music or the it's no, it's it, no, it's comedy. It's because music, I feel like it, it, there, it's more compressed. The, it's just a life of baffling omens. It's impossible. Yeah. It's like every day it resets and you're brand new. And, you know, the you have some stuff that you've learned. So it's like that horrible Tom Cruise movie. The what is it? The day after tomorrow. 
the where you oh, uh, no, over, um, over again. Edge of edge of tomorrow. Edge of tomorrow. There you go. Yeah. The, how did I get that wrong? The well, day after tomorrow is a Jake Gyllenhaal uh, climate disaster movie. I, I'm going to do a double header on both of those after. Yeah, this. there you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how um how does it feel to to wrap your old hour? You have a special coming out, and then to get yeah. to work on the new one. Do you feel like are you eager about it? Is there a sense of closure? Are you like oh fuck now I'm retiring that material forever and then. Yes, to all of the above. That's <laughs> uh, one of the things that was baffling for me, like about comics, is you know when I started, um, the way you, a musician works is you do all the shit in a practice space, you get it all ready, and then you bring it out into the world. You, yeah. you make your record, you play your record, and then you play your record for the rest of your life. And comedy is exactly the opposite. You work yeah. it out in front of the public. Once you get it perfect, you record it, and then you never do it again. Yeah, um, I think. Well, most of us never do it again. There are some people that still do the same act from wherever, but those are the people that also don't ever record and put it out. You know, they, but they do the same jokes for 12 years or whatever, or 20 years. Um, you know, I came from music. I was a musician first. And what I really liked about comedy, you know, my first time I ever did an open mic, I was 35 is I liked how terrifying it was that it was moment by moment, that it wasn't everything that you just described because I came from bands and from a, being a solo performer. So, yep, you write the song, you perfect the song, then you take it out there. And, you know, if they don't like it, then they will at least like politely clap at the end of the song, like acknowledging, yes, that song is now over. <laughs> but comedy is like every, every second, it's this constant communication with the room and even beats in a joke, you're getting feedback, you're getting real-time feedback. And, and so I was terrified and that's what I like because performing music was not terrifying anymore or even particularly interesting at that point in my life. I've come back around to liking it, but I was burnt out basically. Um, starting a new hour, I do feel some closure. My special came out on Saturday. My special is weird because it's not the full hour. The album of the last hour of hour three came out in July, like, and it's on streaming services and, you know, it's just an audio um you know, it's hard. You can't call it an album because it's, there's no vinyl of it. But yeah, it's an audio document. <laughs> and I recorded that in Fort Collins at the Comedy Fort, which you just did. And, you know, is an amazing room. Best. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm very happy with that. Um, but the special was recorded a few months before that in Philadelphia as part of the series of specials that they were doing for Helium Comedy Studios. And it's my special in particular is fucking weird, man. Um, it's. 28 minutes long and i spend a decent amount of that time dealing with a shit-faced wasted woman who's dead center in the front row and so it is not the normal comedy special it is more of a document of like this is what the friday late show can be like and this is how i i don't want to say like a pro some people have said a pro and some people have said road dog or whatever handles it right but this is how i handled it and it, particularly it was the day before my eighth anniversary of being sober so dealing with this, honestly, wow. like ghost of my past, right? Yeah. This like and super overly intoxicated to the point that I was generally concerned about her. I was like legitimately concerned about her well-being, but she's also fucking up the show, talking constantly during the show and everything. And like, it was this thing where the first edit that they sent me of the special was terrible. It like they tried to edit around her. And so then like, the vibe is really off in the room and you can't tell why. And it just like, it just seemed really disjointed. And so we, after talking to Jimmy chairman, the director, who was a great dude and very artist supportive, I got to say, like, he was really like, whatever you want to do, like we can re-edit, we can do whatever. 
we just embraced it. And so now I don't want to say this woman's the star of my special, but the narrative of what was actually happening is so much more clear now. And that uh -huh. a couple of people have messaged me that have watched it and said, this is like so much more fascinating than a regular comedy special. Cause yes, you do get your jokes out there. Not nearly as many as I thought I was going to, cause I have to keep dealing with this woman and another like pretty fucked up dude. That's also in the front row, like farther over to the right. Um, it's much more of like a document about being in the room and a show where you have these obstacles are getting thrown at me. And then also the subtext of it being on the anniversary of my sobriety. I think it's, I think it's just more interesting. That's what a lot of other people are kind of saying back to me as well, but it's not the special I wanted to put out at all. Like I have this story about my father. That's very personal that I still get in there, but it's not the best version of it because even during that, like it's just a kind of an emotional story during the setup of it. Some other random fucko in the room yells out during the setup to this, my closer of this emotional thing about my father dying of ALS. Cause uh Philly gonna Philly. That's all I'm going to say about that. It was shot wow. in Philadelphia. And so uh, Philly just showed up in full Philly form. Um, <laughs> and they did to other people's specials too, but not as much like Rami Masafani taped the same weekend as me. And I was in the room during his and they removed those drunk people because he went up after me like they they take uh -huh. on like back to back to back and same crowd and so they remove the drunk woman and her husband or fiance or whatever from the front row they get rid of another drunk person they kind of reseat the front row for him mm -hmm. and then but then he's in his and he's doing like kind of a longer complex bit about religion and some fucking idiot in the back is shit face starts yelling out and so he didn't wow. have to deal with it as much but it still happened and he was still a pro about it too, like the way he got around it. So as far as closure and pride for the special, it's a very complicated thing right now. Like we wound up with something more interesting than uh, I think it would have been, but it's also not the representation of me that I want out in the world, if that makes sense, or that I would prefer. I would prefer out in the world. I'm, I'm okay with it. I am a pro. I've been doing this a long time. I know how to handle drunk people. I, I don't snap on her. I never call her a cunt or anything like that. I never do that shit. I feel like I'm pretty kind and pretty funny with how I handle it. But it's just a weird thing, man. You know, like. It's yeah, I mean, it's there's there's definitely like a sense of powerlessness to it that you the. um you make the the live record you deserve, not the live record you want <laughs> or the you make the. <laughs> The universe makes the live record it wants, regardless of your designs, you know? Yeah. The, um, well, I mean, there's always that, like, um, there's that Rick Rubin produced Andrew Dice Clay album from, like, the late 90s or something like that called The Day the Laughter Died. And it's wow. Andrew Dice Clay, like, eating shit for, like, two hours. Wow. And they, I think, had the same thing. Like, I think Rick talked <laughs> Dice into this idea of, like, it's this beautiful document of what can happen, you know, and that every comedy shows organic. I'm trying to do my Rick Rubin weird Buddha Zen guy <laughs> impression here. Um, but it's 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 fascinating. But it's also, like, I'm sure that's not, like, the thing that you thought you were going to capture when you were recording in Madison Square Garden, you know. At least mine is a much smaller scale, you know. This is one of the reasons why I'm really reluctant to call myself a comic unless unless uh, JT Habersat or fucking Jay White Cotton comment compliment me one more time about my banter, in which case, fuck you, I'm a comic. The But 
comedy is so fucking hard. And I really believe it's like the last pure art form because it's just you up there with your fancy little thoughts and your ideas and you're saying them into a microphone with, you know, with nothing between you and the audience trying to provoke an unconscious response from them. And it's so fucking hard. And the, and I love doing, you know, People are like, your guitar is a crutch. I'm like, yeah, you goddamn right. It's a crutch for a man with fucking one leg. A crutch is an incredible blessing. I'm an emotional cripple. Give me my fucking guitar. <laughs> the, but it's, um, there's, there's nothing between uh, your words and the crowd's ears, you know, and that yeah. means you're subject to so much interference. I, I had one too many diet Cokes the other night and I feel like it fucking threw the show. Dude, that's that's some real talk, man. Like I uh, got COVID back in um, July and it, it wasn't terrible, but it was bad enough that I was basically in bed for like a week and I was on a bunch of ibuprofen and I'm a huge caffeine addict, huge. And I just use that as an opportunity to quit caffeine uh, because I was pushing through like the caffeine withdrawal migraines. I am so much better on stage now. Like even wow. in my album recording, the first like the, the Wait, album. So you stayed off it? Yeah. So I just animal. I just like a week, two weeks ago, I did start uh, instead of doing like fully decaf coffee, which has a little bit of caffeine and it has like 3% caffeine. But um, instead, I started making like um, two scoops decaf, one scoop regular, uh, because I just felt just slow. And like, here's the thing. Also, like, I just felt slow, like mentally Uh slow. And it was like, is this caffeine withdrawal still? Is it long COVID because I did have COVID or is it just because I'm getting old as fuck or is it all three? Like what was going on? I will say that I'm glad that I had put a little and you know, and as a former addict, I was also like, if I have any like, cause I was like, oh, you could have one cup in the morning and then that would, no, I can't, I can't do that. So I have to cut, I have to cut it with baby powder, which is what I call decaf. And so, <laughs> so, uh, but the minute that I had, like I did that. I wrote so many fucking jokes the next couple of days. Yeah. Like, oh, my brain is firing again. But I was getting so jittery on stage and talking so fast. And my record, um, the, the special is called Tango and Billy. It was like a, a, a nod to what the fuck was going on. And then the, the album is called Midnight Nachos. On the album in that Comedy Fort recording, the first, I would say, 12 to 15 minutes, I am talking very fast, very fast on the album. Because I was fucking jacked to the gills on caffeine. Yeah. Diet, you know, cold brew all day, diet coke all night. That's how I would do it. Right. <laughs> and uh, like, um, I will say coming off caffeine has made me, it's even it's only been like four months or whatever, five months. I am so much more in the pocket now, like my delivery, wow. my, my, just everything about it. So I highly recommend if anyone else is a caffeine addict to maybe try to temper that a little bit because it does affect your performance in a big way. Yeah, when I got COVID, I quit uh I quit caffeine and I quit smoking. And I wonder if that's part of why I suffered for so long. The um I mean also I was fucking smoking, which is the dumbest thing to do when there's like a respiratory virus going around that's killing fucking millions of people. Yeah. Uh, but it took that to get off cigarettes. I you well, know it's it was good. Just, Are you and I, you're still off? I went right back on the caffeine as quickly as I could because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to live without it. The, but yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't had a cigarette since then. And that was, um, August. I think I had a real, 
hardcore like mental attachment to it and the letting go of the sort of traumatic thing that my smoking was attached to helped me um it, it's like i was forced to quit smoking through illness and that helped me let go of some of the trauma that i think was keeping me smoking mm -hmm. the yeah yeah it, yeah it's fun well, moving through life as an addict <laughs> yeah. brain damage for the rest of your life yeah, no shit. Yeah. My, uh, you know, my mom, uh, was a smoker forever until she started having like some serious health issues and then she finally quit. And then she was able to be smoke free for 20 years or so before she passed. Like, but it did wow. take her getting put in the hospital for respiratory, con you know, issues and things related to her smoking. So sometimes we just need to get, you know, the shit scared out of us to make those changes, you know? Yeah, I think that is one of those manifestations of let go and let God. Let go and let God give you COVID, and then you'll <laughs> you'll shit your pants. You cough so hard. And, yeah, uh, I, I forgot that you are an anti-vaxxer, an anti-masker, and it's all based around that <laughs> saying of let go and let God. That's, <laughs> God is my co-pilot and my uh, doctor. <laughs> Old Doctor God. Yeah, <laughs> Doctor God would be a great band name. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, God, eight-string bass. Mm. yeah frog rock nightmare <laughs> the um we don't we don't cover primus because that's too mainstream we only do let's go <laughs> other bands well he's oysterhead we cover that <laughs> flying frog brigade why do i know so many of these fucking oh god teams? yeah you just outed yourself <laughs> oh man so um what uh where are you off to in January? And like, what does the, what does the new year hold for you? Yeah, I mean, I have, I need to get busy about booking my dates and stuff because my calendar is pretty open, but the first weekend I'm in Akron, Ohio uh, with my buddy Brent Trehune, um opening for him. And I'm at this point now where I'm trying to make decisions that are a little bit, I don't know, know your own worth, that kind of thing. Right. Like I, I love opening for Brent because we're buddies. Right. And so I would totally open for him whenever, but I'm not, I'm going to try and not just randomly take feature gigs at clubs that I think I should probably be headlining. Um, you know, if it's a big fancy 300 seat club, then yeah, no one, I should not definitely not be headlining that club. <laughs> you know, I'm definitely should be the middle. Uh, but then I'm going to Denver the following weekend and I'm doing, um, ratio brew works on Wednesday and then the comedy Ford on a Thursday and then Denver comedy underground Friday, Saturday. And then I'm Sunday. The whole reason I'm going is, is because on Sunday, my friends and Murder by Death are playing their annual concert at oh, Estes Park, Colorado. Great. So I'm going to go to, yeah, yeah, I used to tour manage them back in the day. Oh, really? So, wow. The, yeah. I've been toying with the idea of covering uh, one of their songs, the one about murder. Oh, that, 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 <laughs> the one about murder? Uh, I think it's, I think it's Spring Break something. Oh, uh, Spring Break 1899. Yeah, there we go. That's it. Uh, the sun is coming up. Uh, yeah. The, that's, and, that, and the, the piano piss and the vomit with the sheets, are the on, sheets my on my bed. Yeah. Incredible I, lyric writing right there. I, I, I love that song. Adam, the Adam Turla is the main songwriter of the band. He and Sarah, his wife is the cellist. They're like two of my closest friends. I've, I've lived with them off and on when in my days that I've not been married, like before wow. I was married and then in between marriages, I've lived with them. And then I also lived at their house in Louisville when my mom was in the hospital because of the hospital she was saying she was in was like um, a half mile from their house. So they just let me live in their house basically for a couple of months while I was taking care of my mom. So they're the, they're the best people. But also, yeah, his his songwriting is great. And um, that song in particular is a great song. That's a good pick. It's uh, it's funny because it's it, it's really not what I do in, in you know my songs but i admire so much songs songwriters like 
um, like that, like handsome family where you're like, man, I just listened to like a three and a half minute novel. Like, yeah. how did you how did you create a world that fast and create a narrative arc and hook us and with a like sing along chorus and shit like that? You know, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I so mean, Adam's tricky. I am curious. Like you say that I I I'm, I don't think Adam's ever written a fully autobiographical song other than um, I know that uh, you don't miss twice when you're shaving with a knife is based on a camping trip that he went on where he, the only thing he had to shave with was his knife. So I know that that one is kind of autobiographical, but uh, he yeah, he definitely does that. He's a fiction writer and but he makes it work, you know, for yeah. sure. Yeah. But anyway, that they're playing their annual show at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, wow. which is like the Shining Hotel. Yep. And uh, my wife and I went last year for it for the very first time. <laughs> like these are some of my closest friends and like a real dick bag. I haven't been to their big special show <laughs> like for, they've been doing it for like 12 <laughs> years and like, uh, but um, now I think I'm hooked. I think I'm going to go every year and just do a bunch of shows around it to kind of pay for the trip. That's sort of where I am now with performing, I think, is um, the doing shows so I can do stuff. Yeah. You know, the the trip out here was just, I was just going to drive here over four days with the dog uh, to come out and uh, to go hunting, which is a weird thing I started doing and work on the house here and hang out with my friends here. And the, and then I got the offer of three shows in Nebraska. So then it became a tour. And then if it was a tour, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to need help with the dog. So I guess I'll bring rad. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and, um, and then I haven't seen Jake forever. And I got to go back to Arizona because fuck this place is so fucking cold here. This is <laughs> fucking bullshit. Oh, Jesus Christ. My, the, my toes hurt. And, uh, um, so it's it's like an opportunity to hang out with Jake. I'll get to see the boys in fucking heels in Memphis for a minute. Um, the and you know just work my way back to Arizona. But man, Jake, I I love the guy so much. We disagree about so much. One of the things that he said was, um, people always do this thing of like the. Um, you know, I'm actually a screenwriter. Now, would you like fries with that? You know, mm -hmm. where they, they work a job, but then they have the secret life and that's who they really are. And he, his mm -hmm. angle was, you know, I'm a pizza delivery guy um, and I do comedy as a hobby. And I was like, Jake, that's bullshit. You're, you're such a good comic. You should be making money. You should be more professional about it. The, I, I wrote his bio The you know, did everything I could to sort of make him more professional and the, and I work so fucking hard to make money on tours, to to sell them, to get those gigs, to get the guarantees, to sell the merch, to, you know, I, I don't I try, try to have as little fun on the road as possible so that I come back with a little bit of money. Yeah. And now I'm realizing um, that, you know, I have the, in the era of uh, big wake up energy, the, maybe I should just be, they should all just be like, um, you know, the, the non-alcoholic equivalent of a beer run of, I'm going to go out and do, uh, 11 easy days with one of my closest friends and we're going to have some fucking fun and yeah. Twizzlers, you know? Yeah. I think, and I think it's a thing also as you get older and the longer you do this, you do start to prioritize the quality of time that you're having out there outside of the shows. Like, yes, you want the shows to be good and you try to do everything you can make that, but also like, Am I just going to be in a shitty hotel for 14 hours? 
when I could go to this museum or I could, I like the thing I, I try to always do like one thing every day, even if it's as simple as going to the gym, like just something. Right. And I know that's not like sightseeing or whatever. That's more like mental and physical health thing, but it's like, yeah, go, go check out the local sites. I, I have embraced being a tourist. <laughs> I'm like, what's the thing for here? Like in Little Rock, I didn't do it this time because I did it last time I was there. I went to the the Central Nine Museum and it was amazing. The museum dedicated to the Little Rock Nine who integrated the school systems of America, like nine of the bravest Americans to ever exist. Like these 13 wow. to 15 year old black kids that are in the eye of the storm of racism. Like that museum is amazing. Was that worth, I don't know, I don't, again, it was a while since I've been, but I think it was like, you know, $18 or whatever to, to go to the museum or whatever. Yeah, fuck yeah, that was worth it. That was totally worth it. So like doing stuff like that, I think is the key. And also obviously having a friend with you is great too, but just getting out of the hotel and, and experiencing all the things that tour can offer outside of the show, you know? Man, the I'm totally stealing that. Just do one thing on the road, like yeah. do the local thing. Um, yeah. Because I've stripped sure. it. I'm 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 so good at doing the opposite of just like stripping all the um all the pleasure out and trying to be like as efficient as possible and like the you know, making it so we have as much time in the hotel as possible and I can you know, play fucking games designed for six year olds on my phone and like the um and you know, to be able to take it easy and not have to uh go and do stuff. But if the I could be doing that show by Zoom over and over again every day yeah and that would suck you know the um yeah that's brilliant the, yeah. one of the things i want to pick your brain about too is limestone um the no we're not booking you okay next the, question <laughs> the, i um and and scene the no the um i mean you barreled right into it the um <laughs> Uh, how do I get booked? No, uh, who books that? No, the how, um, how is, I mean, because to you, you're the, uh, this is a I'm festival you, you, I'm the co-founder of it. Okay. I, yeah, I, co I created this festival with Jared Thompson, who's the owner of the comedy attic. And, uh, we now have a, a third co-director with us, which is Dwight Simmons and a uh, very funny comic, great dude. And, um, yeah, man, I started the festival, well, we're getting ready to have our 10th year and we had a year off for COVID. So 11 years ago, probably 12 years ago, because it took almost a year of planning and set up before the first one. And like I said, I come from music from being a tour manager and I'd worked a bunch of festival production shit, um, you know, because they they call in uh, tour managers for big things like Lollapalooza when it landed in Chicago and wasn't touring anymore. They call in anyone who's in the business to come help run festivals, right? If you're not actively out with a band. So I'd done a bunch of festival production and stuff too. And I was at the point in my comedy career where I was starting to get into festivals and a bunch of them sucked. Basically they treated the comics like garbage or they were just well-intentioned or, but ran fucking horribly. And so driving back from one of those festivals, I just built limestone in my head. Like I was like, I built the better mousetrap essentially. And I went to Jared and I was like, I want to do a festival. This is how I want to do it. I had pretty much the entire structure and everything laid out, like what venues we're going to use, how we're going to do it. And he was like, all right, let's do it. And someone had come to him uh, the year before wanting to do a festival, but they didn't have any plan. It was another local comic who just said, we should do a festival. And by that, they meant you should do a festival. <laughs> Whereas in, Jared knew that I was going to take on the lion's share of the work for it. Um, 
which I mean, he's integral because he owns the attic and he books the headliners, you know, and has the connects and he's like, you know, he's involved in a lot more than that. But as far as like organizational structural, like all the boring, like Excel database spreadsheet shit, like that's a big part of what I do on it. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to design a festival where the, even the unfamous comics who get in, who submit and the panel picks are treated great. Like they're not wow. treated. The only difference between them and the headliners is that we we pay the headliners because that's the only way you're going to get headliners to come to your festival. Um, but you know, they go to all the same parties. They are they have the same centralized like artist lounge. They you know, there's a lot of mixing and hanging out with the headliners. You know, they want to do that. You know, um, so it was just really a way to treat the guys like me well. You know, wow. and. Also the the audience too. Like so many festivals are a cash grab and the pricing is fucking ridiculous. And like we have a badge system and it's like if you buy the three-day badge, it's something like twelve dollars a show, and that includes Patton Oswald and Maria. It includes the big shows. You don't have to also then buy the $45 ticket to see Janine Garoppolo or Michael Che or anybody that we brought in before. Like, nope, you have this badge, you go to all the shows that you want to go to. Um, and so which if we would have made it a cash grab, we'd all be doing better now. <laughs> it's very, it's like, it's like a, um, it's a, like a, a very, uh, I don't want to say expensive because we've been in the black every single year, knock on wood, but we make a little bit of money every year that just goes into a savings uh, basically, which saved our ass in the COVID year because we had, we were full oh, steam. Like we had deposits out, we planned and everything. So the war chest is not nearly as big as it used to be because of that year we had to cancel everything. But yeah, man. Um, I'm proud of it. We're coming up on the 10th year. It'll be June 1st to the 3rd. Um, we were really dumb not having a third partner in it from the jump. The minute Dwight came on board, me and Jared are like, how the fuck did we ever do this with this, the two of us? Like, this is so much easier and better with the third person. So, um, yeah, man, like that's kind of the foundation of it. And then um, as far as like how people, because I'm assuming you have a lot of comedy or comedians that listen to this podcast, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. So well, we have a submission process, which if, is, if I have any people listening to this, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and the way we do it is also like a lot of festivals, particularly back then, a few of them are still like this, but not as much as it used to be. They were just like a glorified circle jerk. It didn't matter if you submitted or not, they were going to just invite their friends, uh -huh. you know? And so we removed ourselves from the process. Like I, I, and I tell my friends in comedy this all the time, I have very little to do with who gets in. See, right. this is something I, I this is the part I was curious about. Okay. Is how how running this festival affects your I mean, basically your head, you know, because yeah. the one of the things I'm very aware of, like this little run I did with Derek Sheen and the the run I'm doing with Jake is that I'm I'm sort of the producer for every mm -hmm. one of those shows. And the maybe my anxiety about performing is less about performing and more about anxiety about the night itself. Dude, um, being a producer is so fucking hard. Like yeah. it's being a booker and a producer. Like, do you, I mean, I, these, these shows that you have in your, your house and in, in, in Phoenix, right? Both oh God, yeah. just, which I want to come do if I ever come to the Southwest. So, but I mean, it's like, it's a very small thing. It's an intimate thing. You're inviting people, but I'm, I bet you also stress out because I would stress out. Like, Oh, I melt down every single time. Yeah. I have, like yeah. a, I have, I have a massive panic attack the afternoon of each show. Yeah, the way that we, I'll just finish like the review process first, and then I'll get into like this idea of having to operate in two different ways in comedy, right? As far as a comedian in the world, and then also as one of the producers of the festival. Um, 
So we set up a four-person review panel and um, submissions come in. I put them onto like a database spreadsheet, essentially. And then I just send them to the review panel 50 at a time. And all they see is the person's name and the link to the clip. That's it. They don't know what city they're from. They don't know the credits, anything like that, right? Because we don't want that to be influencing them, right? Like, do you think this is funny? End of story. And then the four-person review panel is usually someone from like uh, the East Coast, someone from the West Coast, someone from the Midwest. Um, sometimes there's two from the East Coast, whatever, for that, four, that fourth spot's like kind of random, right? And these are people that are in the comedy industry or comedians that we know are not coming, comedians that we have relationships with. Um, and so, and we also try to have a good spread. Like we try to have it be different genders and different racial makeup of the panel and different like identity. And so, you know, we think we came up with a good policy because in the beginning, in the beginning, one of the panel members was my father-in-law, uh, rest in peace. Uh, Jim was a huge comedy nerd. He would go every single Thursday night to the comedy attic. It didn't matter who it was. It didn't matter if it was like um, some Bob and Tom comic, you know, uh, it didn't matter if it was Hannibal Burris. He was there every Thursday night. He had spindles of CDRs of burned comedy albums, right? That's He's so a, cool. He was the best dude. And so but he was, you know, also like a 65 year old white dude from Indiana. And then also the same year that he was on the panel, we had um, Louisa uh, from New York City. Louisa. Uh, oh, she's great. Yeah. Louisa Diaz. Diaz. Yeah. Sorry. I was, I, I thought that was right. And then I was going to double check. smart. Yeah. Yeah. And she was, you know, she'd book comedy at the knit and things like, so she's a booker in New York. So she's like this very New York plugged into the New York comedy scene could not be more big city comedy scene. Latina woman, if her and Jim both love a clip and the other two randos that are in the mix too, that might be like, you know, a black gay woman, or it might be like a, a younger white dude in his twenties. If ever, if all those people think a clip was funny, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Right. And yep. it also balances out the, like the sort of implicit bias of like, if everyone in your review panel is from LA, well, a bunch of LA comics are going to get better points because they're friends with them and things like that. Yeah. So it, that's how we design it. We still run it like that. It just rotates who's on the panel and thing. And so we think it's pretty fair. We think it's pretty good. Um, but then also like it sucks sending out rejection <laughs> emails. Oh man. yeah. We, we can take less than 10%. We get about 500 submissions every year for about 40, I think it's 44 spots. Uh -huh. So a lot of very good comics don't get in and it's just, it's just math. It's just a math issue really. And that sucks. And I hate it. And people sometimes are shitty back. And I understand that. And I, you know, which I also should say, I should say you should never do, you know, ne never fucking do that. Never. Yeah. If you're listening, never fucking do that. Never, never respond to a negative piece published about you, your show or your music or anything like that. And never fucking respond with spite. The, yeah. Um, kidnap a person, take them down to your basement and kick the shit out of them because I, I understand the fury that we all feel, but yeah. don't fucking do that. And there's nothing that makes somebody look like a hack more than yeah. firing back. So, and dumb. it's also the sort of thing like there are people that would have gotten in the next year, but because they clap back with some shitty ass email, well, now you're not, you know? Um, I mean, it's the same thing. Like, I'm sure you've gotten rejection letters from publishers before when you've tried to have books. If you Dude, were like, I, I remember fuck the you, Randall, Random House. I'm going to fuck you up, Random House, you piece of shit. 
I remember the first person who gave me a one-star rev- review on Amazon for like my Kindle single. And I went and, and I have her fucking cell phone number in my phone because I went and searched her fucking, I looked at all her reviews. I searched her name. I found out where she lived. I searched her name in the thing and I found a fucking Craigslist posting or something that had her cell phone number and I saved it. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to call this bitch. And then I slept and then I woke up and I was like, that's fucking bananas. Yeah. Don't ever fucking do that. But I went yeah. there. I went to well, and went a, down that hole. Here's, here's the thing. Also, like our rejection emails are private. We're not even posting. Here's everyone who didn't get in. Maybe we'll do that this year just to spice things up on. Here's the people who weren't good enough to get into the festival. No. And so like also if like if you don't make a stink about it, nobody knows that you didn't get in. Nobody knows that you fucking submitted just your, like, your, your private shame. Yeah. Private shame. <laughs> Um, I was very adamant for a very long time of like trying to keep it not hidden. My name is on the limestone website, you know, like in the about section or whatever, but I didn't, I don't, I still don't use it as a comedy credit because it's not, it has nothing to do with what I'm about to do on stage uh-huh. because I, and also even before I started the festival, I had legitimate credits. I was already, had already done the Bob and Tom show. I'd already been on the um, on Fox, like on this weird comedy show they on Fox called Laughs that was on for a minute that's on Hulu. Like I had done some real shit, right? I'd opened for some famous people. So I actually already had credits. But I've had comics tell me like I probably would have gotten a lot more shows and a lot bit better shows, bigger shows over the years if I was pushing like, oh, I'm the Limestone guy. But that yep. to me is super shitty because the, again, what I do at Limestone is like, that means I'm good at Excel. And I'm good at like talking to sponsors and venues and I'm good at running an event. I'm good at like making sure all the folding chairs are in the right fucking place at the right time. Like it has very little to nothing to do with what I do on stage. So they are very much separate parts of me. Um, I've been less militant about it now. I still hate it though when, and this is usually like if I do like a hip one nighter or something like that, that's like a comic run show. And then they bring me up as the founder of co-founder of Limestone. It's like, no one in this audience gives a fuck or knows what that is. <laughs> yeah. It's Just like inside you know, baseball. It's so inside baseball. And it's like, it's also like you could have said Sirius XM. Like some people have that in their car. Like, yeah, yeah. You could have said that. Um, so it is a, it is a thing of having to have the division, but also again, because I had seen people who'd run festivals as their private, you know, like, party for their friends and it didn't matter who got it who submitted like they just invited you know there was one in chicago a couple of years ago that got a lot of very in my opinion well-deserving flack um for having a submission process and then it only being their friends like yeah, there are festivals that's my health show there's yeah there's no submission process exactly, I, fucking, exactly. I pick people to play and it's completely arbitrary there's no it's i'm i am the god yeah <laughs> you know well, and that's and like like and that's high, not a festival high plains it's a Com- fucking house yeah. show high plains comedy festivals invitation only they don't do submissions if that's what you want to do great don't have submissions and that's an amazing festival uh, karen who runs it with adam kane holland they're both fantastic people the whole crew ron is also really integral to that festival but it's like yeah who have whoever the fuck you want then because you're not taking people's yeah, money yeah. and taking submissions and stuff like that and then people sometimes ask like why do you have a submission fee it's because we already get 500 like if we had no submission fee, like we, the, oh, yeah. these are the review panels, volunteers, but they don't get paid to watch your fucking clip. Like there has to be some barrier to entry the way you have to be like, I'm good enough that I can, I can gamble $25 on this or whatever. And like, I submit the things all the time as a comic that I don't get into. And, you know, and once you're at a certain level of comedy where you're claiming it on your taxes, 
then all that shit you write off anyway. It, you know, yes, I would have liked to have gotten in that festival, but that $25 fee is fine because it's professional development and it gets taken yeah. off on my taxes, you know. It, how much is it to apply for Limestone? It is $25 uh, for the first six weeks, and then it jumps to 40 for the last four weeks, and we don't ever want to get a $40 submission. The whole point of it jumping is to make people fucking submit <laughs> earlier rather than wait the last goddamn day. But yet we still always get people who submit the last goddamn day. 25 bucks is like fucking dinner. Like the, yeah. yeah, just And the thing is like, again, like I understand, you know, and we're talking about the hurt feelings thing, have that moment, have that moment of disappointment and anger, and then just get over it and go on to the next thing, you know? Yeah, totally agree. The, um, Matt, thank you so much for doing this. Do you have, um, do you have stuff you want to plug? I mean, the big thing right now is a special on YouTube. It's called Tango in Philly. Uh, it's on the Com Helium Comedy Studios channel. Again, I think people are going to be interested in it. Um, it sounds like, fascinating. I mean, I'm I, I'm already like, ooh, like as soon as you described it, I was like, oh, my God, this is this is what I want to see. There's a lot of subtext going on in it that I again, I, I a lot of props to Jimmy Chairman for and his his editor, Shecky, which can I just tell you how much I love the fact that a man named Shecky edited my comedy special. <laughs> I I just picture a ninety-eight so man, a ninety-eight year old man with like bottle, bottle, you know, Coke bottle glasses, and he still has to sit close to the screen anyway, just to edit it. Um, that's what I picture in my mind. Um, but they did an amazing job of making the narrative very clear of what was going on, and so it's 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 definitely a, a very cool thing. But yeah, that's the big thing. And then you know they can just if you Google me, you can get to my website and socials and all that kind of stuff. Matt with one T, and then Alano, which is A L A N O hyphen M A R T I N. I'll never get it wrong again. It's okay. Can I tell you the the, the worst that, friendship? The worst <laughs> that it's been butchered. Can I tell you the worst? It's been yeah, butchered? yeah. Let's hear it. Uh, one time I was going on stage at the Improv in Dallas, and the person, and this was the last night, so I'd been there for three, four nights already. I was opening for Ralphie May, so it was like a long week of shows, and the the same person who's been introducing me every single show accidentally introduced me as Matt Alonzo Bowden. <laughs> and I don't know if you. No Alonzo Bowden, but there's your porn name right there. The, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was amazing. like, yeah, man, uh, NPR changes you into a bearded white man is what happens <laughs> if you do too much NPR. <laughs> uh, I love you, man. Um, I was, uh, I, I, I love this podcast, man. I love, oh, uh, thanks, man. That, you, th and... Thanks so much. That you, you know, it's, it means so much to me that you're listening. The, and I got to say to you that, uh, you have been a great friend to me. Um, the last couple of years have been fucking, I feel like they've been brutal for everybody. Um, and you have checked in on me at a couple of very crucial times. So yeah, thank man. you for that. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about you and oh, can I plug one more thing I forgot about? No, absolutely not. Okay. Goddamn. <laughs> uh, go ahead, I, did go I, I did just start a podcast with my buddy, Dwight Simmons, who not only is the uh, co-director of the Limestone Festival, but also is a very funny comic. He and I are doing a low rent version of the Jackie and Lori show where we are two far less successful comedians <laughs> talking about um, our wins and losses in comedy and uh, some comedy gossip and drama and all that kind of stuff. It's called Matt and Dwight Just Might. And so I'm very proud of it. We've got two episodes out and uh, it's, it's, if you're a comedy person, I think you'll be into it. The, I can't believe we haven't addressed this yes, yet. I need to, I got to show you this. I don't know if you can see it or not. This is my, this is my job list. Um, my, uh, my second reminder, the first one is Riff for Jeremy, 
mm-hmm. from February 15th and from March 23rd, I have Matt's podcast, right? <laughs> oh, that's my, uh, my music podcast. Yeah. Which... The, to, and I'm <laughs> such a fucking dick that I still haven't fucking done. I wrote it out the other day of like, like three times I've written out the artists I'm going to do. And then like JT fucking stole all of them and shit like that. And it, every day I'm like, God fucking damn, I'm going to do that fucking podcast at some point. But the, I, love I can't I love tell you music. how disappointed I was when I read the description and I was like, wait, so we're not going to talk. We're not going to fucking hang out. I just have to do this in solitude. I thought we were going to chill. <laughs> like, well, here's the, here's the thing. You're talking about my other podcast that I launched last year called um, Take the Song, where people pick four of their favorite songs and there's more to it than that. But I won't get too far into it. Um, the reason that I didn't plug that is I've not had any episodes for a while is because exactly what you said. Most people are used to a podcast where you interact and also us locking down a time to do this was very like it's it's there's uh there's action items there's like when can you do it cool when if it's open-ended where you just record it yourself and send it in i have so many people that are just like you they want to do it but they have a million other things to do so i am bringing that podcast back in the new year and the format will be different it will be oh my god uh, it's such a brilliant premise an interview yeah yeah oh my god the um hit me up bro yeah, man, I would love to have you on it. I like that you said that JT picked all your songs, and one of the ones he picked was your song, which makes me think you're going to pick one of your own songs. The I'd he pick one Gaby's of JT's Bible. songs if I could to uh, just to uh, that <laughs> fucking song, just... man. It's all it's always the songs that are like throwaways that hit. It's so weird. There, yeah. I mean, uh, it's that's weird that Gideon's Bible was a throwaway because it's a banger for sure. I remember sitting on my friend Tony the Next couch in LA writing that when I was like 25. And had I known that that song was going to prove to be so true now, 20 years <laughs> later, I would have yeah. ended it right then. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Uh, I Well, maybe uh, next time that we're on a podcast together or just hanging out, you will tell me uh, what Lubbock did to you to, 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 to earn such a, a place of shame in that song. A, a cliffhanger ending right there. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for doing it. Thanks so much, Mishka. I appreciate it. All right. Later. Bye. Folks, thank you so much for listening. I know there's uh, a million podcasts out there. We appreciate you uh, you spending your time with us. The um, If you're digging the show, if you're enjoying it, if, you, if these conversations uh, move you, make you laugh, annoy you piss you off um please take a minute to uh to rate review and subscribe on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast uh it helps us grow the show and it helps other people find it um if you'd like to hear bonus episodes song demos just sort of uh ranting off the cuff uh conversations all sorts of different uh bonus material writing advice uh personal blog posts and stuff like that uh, go to patreon.com slash Mishka Shabali. Uh, we will be having monthly episodes up there with my mom and I answering uh, questions from readers. And there's all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, thank you so much for supporting.